This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. Bokir Tov, Anthony Reich, how are you? Bokir Tov, Hanukkah Sameach. Yeah, we're uh, taking each day as it comes. Um, and one of the things that I just wanted to share with listeners this morning is the practice that the IDF has of asking soldiers who are heading towards the war zone to write a final letter to their families oh. in the event that something might happen to them. There can be no greater moment of mortality and fallibility than writing a letter to your family which is kept and only released to them in the event that you are either taken into captivity god forbid or killed um during the time of your operation and this was the situation for sergeant major ben zussman who was 22 years old when he was killed last week we understand that he was killed in that operation where they were apparently in the process of trying to free one of the hostages, to rescue one of the hostages. We don't know any more detail, and in fact Hamas have used um, that particular piece of information to send uh, information about one Israeli hostage sending a, a clip of him alive and then send, sending a video of him showing him um, dead. Mm-hmm. And they claim that he was killed during that attempt to rescue him. But the letter that was written by Sergeant Major Ben Zussman um, is something which I think many of us would really want to read. It's on Instagram, and I would like to suggest to listeners that they try and have a look for it. Um, I will read some of the bits that he writes, because I think it is so motivating and so inspiring to read the words of somebody who's potentially writing their last words. And he says, I'm writing this letter to you as I'm heading to the base. If you are reading it, something must have happened to me. You know me, so no one could be happier than me right now. It was no coincidence that I was on the verge of fulfilling my dream. I'm happy and grateful for the privilege I will have to defend our beautiful land and the people of Israel. And then he goes on to write, if God forbid you're sitting shiver, transform it into a week of friends, family and fun. There should be good food, meat, of course, beer, soft drinks, nuts, and of course, mom's cookies. Tell jokes, share stories, and you'll get to meet all of the rest of my friends that you haven't yet met. You know, I envy you. I want to sit there and see everyone. And then at the end, he says, I'll say it again. I left the house without even being called up to reserve duty. I'm filled with pride and a sense of purpose. And I always said that if I have to die, I wish it would be in defense of others and the state of Israel. How much more inspiring can things get than that? Anthony, I just don't have the words. I mean, just just the thought, Um, just the thought of your child being asked, and and as a parent, just the thought of your child being asked to write a letter, a final letter, because whatever they're about to do might get them killed. You know, the probability is pretty high. 
It, it feels like um, it, it, it's just Anthony. I mean, how do you, how do you relate to this as a parent? Um, it's very, very tough to relate to this. And I just, I, I, same as you thought about that moment when these boys and girls are being asked to write these letters and what's going through their minds at that moment. Um, but the message that we're getting from them is just um, such inspiring. It's so inspiring to me as a parent and as a citizen of this country because I've been had the good fortune of being exposed um, to some of those soldiers just as they come out of Gaza. Um, and listening to them, um, some of them said to me, I've just come out of Gaza an hour or two ago. I've come out for a break. I will be returning again soon. And I can't wait to get back to my job because... We are so proud in the work that we are doing to serve this country and to serve people. And these are people who have left families and have left jobs and have left lives behind, dropped everything and run to the service of our country, to the service of our people. And they do it so willingly and so gladly and with such inspiration, with such, with such great fortitude no matter what the risks are. They don't really think about the risks. I think that that moment when they're writing that letter is probably the only moment that they're really considering the risks because of the rest of the time they're thinking about the training that they've received, they're working with their friends, doing what they've been told to do, carrying out um, their mission, and of course standing up for Israel and for the Jewish people. That's really what this is about. Absolutely incredible, and that he was okay with it. You know, And I'm sure that that is very comforting for families to some degree. I think there is some comfort that one can take from that, that these are people who are doing it not because they've been forced to do it, because some of them, of course, have been called up by law. Um, but in this particular case and in many other cases, I met a person yesterday um, who I know has been in Gaza and we had a business meeting and I said to him, have you been released? He said, no, I haven't been released. He said, I wasn't actually called up in the first place, so they couldn't release me. I just went and I volunteered to my former unit and he spent two or three weeks in Gaza working with that unit. He hadn't even been called up, as was the case with um, this uh, soldier Ben Zussman that, that I read the letter. Uh, you know, there are so many people like that. You know, when he said, I said to him, have you been released? He said, no, they can't release me. I wasn't even really called up. Incredible. I mean, it, do you remember at the beginning of the war, seeing these photographs of aircraft into Israel just filled with young men who were on their gap years and all of that who were young yeah. who were all going back to Israel um, as reservists and um, they had finished their that, military that service spirit, incredible that, that spirit has just permeated throughout the period of this war throughout the country spirit of, of, of volunteerism spirit, spirit of being so proud of what they're doing and I think that you know if there was any doubt about Hamas's intentions and what Hamas is really all about beforehand. I think many of us wanted to believe that a new generation had grown up and that there was a generation um, out there of people who were willing to accept the reality of the existence of the State of Israel and who were willing to somehow find a way to go and coexist alongside the Jewish State. Um, but if you had that in your mind, and I must admit that I was one of them who thought to myself, we need to give this a chance and we need to give a new generation the opportunity to stand up and say, whatever happened over the last 75 years is not what we want going forward. We want to live a different reality. I, you know, I was one of those who believed that we needed to give that position 
a certain amount of breathing space, a certain opportunity to take hold. But if any of us, including myself, had that view in our mind, I think most of us have changed our view now because when we see the reality of what's going on, what happened in that massacre on October the 7th and what's happening now, I think there can be little doubt in our mind that unless we are willing to be very, very firm and stand up to defend ourselves, then we will be overrun and we will be killed and we will be annihilated and we will be taken from this place. And I think that the last two months or three months has really brought that message home. And yesterday we started to speak about, is it really possible to destroy Hamas? And the fact that they happen to have their head office in Qatar and so many other representative offices apparently in Cape Town and so many other supporters around the world. And we've seen this really, really crazily. But I think that um, if Hamas's main uh, uh, objective is to destroy Israel and the Jews, and I think that Israel first and foremost, and potentially the Jews thereafter, um, then the whole focus re- really needs to be Israel. I think the fact that they happen to have representative offices in Qatar is not helpful to them because that's not going to help them uh, achieve their objective. It may help them to have a place to sit and it may help them to gain some funding and it may help them in certain diplomatic zones. But ultimately, if they want to carry out their objective of destroying Israel, then Gaza was really the place that they were going to do that. And to the extent that we can destroy their infrastructure in Gaza and prevent them from being able to rebuild that and to get back to the situation and to really take them all out from underneath literally the tunnels underground but also just to destroy their infrastructure to prevent them from having any ability to attack us I think that that could potentially be a death blow to Hamas whether they happen to have representatives in Qatar or other places it doesn't destroy their ideology but it does destroy their ability to carry it out and in so doing once people want to join an ideology that they can see is just simply not feasible cannot in any way be carried out. I think it destroys to some degree the desire to be part of that group. People always want to be part of groups that are winners, people part of groups that are able to to carry out their objective. And I think that this would be very, very significant in uh, destroying Hamas. I don't know whether it would destroy them forever, whether it would destroy them for a certain period of time, because as we always remember, behold or vador, um, and so um, uh, I'm not really quite sure. Yeah. Exactly, but unfortunately, but for now at least, we need to destroy their capability so that it'll give us a little bit of peace over the coming years, however many years that is. I think that this is the objective right now. So um, I don't pretend that we're going to be able to destroy the ideology across the world. I think the ideology is there, and we feel it really coming out. Um, but I think we need to somehow work to destroy their ability to carry it out. And we have all been surprised to find out exactly how ready and how determined they were to carry this out. A hundred percent. You know, it's always a question for us, and it's something that you and I have certainly discussed over the years, Anthony, is the concept of a wolf whistle, right? So when we're reporting on the BDSM movement, the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, um, what we're actually doing is we're doing their publicity for them. Right, we are helping to grow their brand, which serves as a wolf whistle for other people who align themselves with those values to get involved with that organization, that BDSM movement. And as you can understand, as a news outlet, it's very important or a source of news. We do need to report both sides. But 
Um, there, I think that there does come a time where we say, you know what, this is too much of a wolf whistle and we're not going to report on it. And we do that. Yes, it's a very difficult, yeah. it's a very difficult thing to achieve because what we want to also do is bring the attention of this to people who are sympathizers, not only to, to our cause, not only sympathizers to their cause. And it's the same media that we're using. It's the same channel that we're using to re- reach all people. The message that we're sending is the same message being interpreted differently by those people who are out there listening, but the channels are the same. So if we had different channels that we could use, then we would, of course, uh, we would be a much more uh, uh, careful about how we use those channels. But because the channel is the same channel, and right now, as you and I are talking, there is no doubt that there are sympathizers with Israel's cause and sympathizers with Hamas's cause, all listening to us right now as we speak. Oh, you're making, mis- is, <laughs> making you know, a mistake. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, so the question is, what do, what's, you know, what do we say in order to send different messages to those people? And of course, we, 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 we can't send a different message. We send the same message, um, just being differently interpreted. And, you know, yesterday's meeting that took place in Khan Yunus, for example, with the head of the Shabak, Ronen Bar, and the um, chief of general staff, uh, Hertzi Alevi, um, yesterday that was, that took place in Khan Yunus, and there were picture opportunities of the two leaders discussing the current state of play. And clearly, that photo opportunity was designed on the one hand to send some sort of encouragement to the Israeli forces and to the Israeli people that it's okay for the heads of our most uh, sacred security organizations to hold this meeting in Khan Yunus somewhere um, in a secret location. But it's also sending a message to our opposition to show the extent of the victory that is being carried out in Gaza right now, that those senior people are able to meet relatively openly in Khan Yunus, which is a hotbed of Hamas activity, which is the real main uh, location for uh, Hamas's headquarters, and they are now meeting there. So this is a, a, a kind of an attempt to send a message to those Hamas supporters to say, your cause is lost. Look what's happening. Our senior leaders are meeting in Khan Yunus. Our prime minister was in Gaza visiting uh, the, the soldiers. Um, this is a sign of capitulation um, on Hamas's part. And I think that, you know, we need to interpret both of those messages with some caution, but there is a certain element of truth in both sides. Anthony Reich, thank you so much. I really, really value your insights and these conversations with you, as do our listeners. No, no doubt about it. Um, I was wondering if we could talk tomorrow about your thoughts and uh, insights on whether Palestinians should be allowed back into Israel to work. Um, we do know that a yeah, lot of the intel, a lot of the intel and the mapping of these uh, southern uh, kibbutzim that were attacked on the 7th of October came from intel from Palestinians who were working there um, and were planted Correct. there. They were Hamas m- um, members. So, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you about that tomorrow. Anthony, stay safe that's, and just God bless. Good. Just God bless. Be well. Thank you so much. That's Anthony Reich. It is 8 o'clock. Up next is your news. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal, 
who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all. Oh,